Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Welcome everyone. Good morning to our family. We're very glad to see you today. Thanks for making time to be with us and to our friends. Very special welcome to you. I didn't know we had this many friends. I'm proud of you guys. <laughs> That's good. You know, why does the church have Friends Day? I think it's probably a really good excuse to have bounce houses and a picnic, I'm sure. Uh, I haven't seen them go, go up yet, but I know we're going to have some fun activities here in just a moment. Definitely going to have some good food. We are excited about that. But most of all, we wanted to dedicate a moment, a day, where we invite those who are close to us, those who are friends with us, those who share life with us in different aspects to come and share with us the aspect of our life of faith. And so we're glad that you're part of us here today. And we know that some of you probably come to us today from a really good church home. Maybe it's a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church home. We are so happy that you are rooted there, and we are so great to that. We pray that you are planted deep, that you're watered often, and that you are fruitful in your work for the Lord in that place. Some of you, we know, may come from a difficult church situation. Our prayer for you is that there will be reconciliation if it's possible, and that if that local church home is something that's healthy and it's an environment where you can grow, we pray that uh, you find that place to work, and if not, we pray that God will take you to the right place where you need to be. Some of you may be here and you're just not engaged with the local church. Maybe you're spiritual, maybe um, you are a Christian, maybe you're getting fed from different places, oftentimes maybe digital formats like listening to podcasts or reading books or blog posts, but maybe you haven't been connected to a local church. I want to encourage you to get rooted in a local body. God wants to teach us so much through the local church, and it's tough. Uh, it's difficult at times, but as a family, being the body of Christ, we together can do so much for the Lord, and God wants to work in your life through a local church. Some of you may have come, and maybe it's been a while that you've been in church. Maybe it's the first time. I meet a few people here and there who have never been to church before, but maybe you grew up in church uh, when you were young, and maybe uh, you've become a little bit disconnected maybe even unsure of what you believe and if any of it's really true. If you're here and that's your situation, I want to say thank you for coming. I know walking into a church can be difficult for some people who've had bad experiences or just have disconnected from it. I just want to commend you for coming and being with us today. I hope you'll enjoy our fellowship. I hope that you'll enjoy some food and some time together. And as we come to Isaiah 53, I pray that it will be just a blessing to you. We welcome all of you. And as we come to Isaiah chapter 53, we're here on purpose because it is Friends Day. Isaiah chapter 53 is a passage of scripture that was written 700 years before Jesus Christ ever lived on earth. And yet it was written in full articulate description of Jesus. Isaiah the prophet is telling us about a servant of God who is going to come and deliver God's people, providing for them everything that they need. Now, the reason we came to Isaiah 53 is that it is the heart. It is the foundation 
of all of Christianity and it is the very basis on which the church stands. I know there can be sometimes confusion about what a church is, what a church does, what Christianity is all about, its mission, its purpose, and all those different things. I suppose if you asked a thousand people what church is all about and what church is for and what churches believe, you might get a thousand different answers, unfortunately. There is a lot of confusion that exists, but I want you today to know this. We're going to introduce you to our local congregation here at Pickerington and possibly introduce you to Christianity. And we come to Isaiah 53 not to sell you a program that our church is better because of a certain program, but introduce you to a person on which Christianity rests. Christianity stands or it falls on the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. If Jesus was who he said he was and did what the Bible reports that he says that he did, then Christianity stands strong. But if in any sense Jesus was not who he said he was, proven to be a fraud or proven not to be the kind of person that was described in Scripture, then Christianity should close its doors and go home. Christianity stands on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Its people are imperfect. Its doctrines sometimes aren't always right. We make mistakes, but our Savior is the foundation on which we stand. And Isaiah 53 is a portrait of who Jesus was, and it's best summarized in this statement, that Jesus Christ was a servant. He said it with his own words. In Mark chapter 10, we see it recorded where he says that he didn't come to earth to be served by people, although he was a king, deserving so. He came to earth to serve people. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I came to give my life a ransom for many people. He came as a servant. And a good servant does two really important things that Isaiah 53 tells us about. A good servant takes away the things that are not wanted or not good, and a good servant goes and gets and brings the things that are necessary. In Isaiah 53, we're going to zero in on verses 4, 5, and 6. So if you have your Bible, we'll be hovering in that area. It's going to tell us exactly who Jesus was in light of being a servant. Let's start with what the servant takes away. What, did he, what does he take from us? You notice the tone of the passage that uh, Colton read for us? That our servant here in Isaiah 53, the servant of the Lord, has some sorrow, has some challenges. He says in verse 3 that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And you get the tone of the text that this servant is a suffering servant, that he's going through difficulty, that he's got trials, that his life is hard, not just easy. But as you come down to verse 4, there is a very, very important word in verses 4, 5, and 6 that you've got to see. That when you understand, you see this one word, it changes the whole picture of this text. Of why this man is experiencing sorrow. Why he's acquainted with grief. And that word is this. Our. Our. Now what does that mean? Look in verse 4. Read it with me. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried 
our sorrows yet we esteem stricken smitten by god and afflicted meaning we are disinterested assuming that he deserves it verse 5 but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us or our peace and with his wounds we are healed you see this is the heart of christianity if you don't get anything else make sure you get this the center piece of christianity the thesis statement the one thing you've got to get is this that jesus christ stood in our place carried our sorrows bore our griefs healed our sickness solved our sin problem he was a man acquainted with sorrows and grief he was suffering as a servant because he was standing in taking for us what we deserved now he takes two things for us and you got to zero in with me to make sure you get it the first one is this jesus christ as a savior takes away our guilt the bible uses the word here you see in verse five he was pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities those are bible words that are used to describe this one simple phrase which is sin now you're probably familiar with the word sin sin's the bad things we're not supposed to do right it's typically how we understand the word sin what sin really means is to miss the mark that god designed or intended for how you're supposed to live you see god is your creator wired you designed you created you formed you and he says here's how i want you to live i'm your maker here's how your best life can be lived and you and i as the bible says tells us in verse six all like sheep have gone astray we've gone our own way we've done our own thing we've veered off of the path of living the way that our maker has designed us to live just like any parent who's brought forth a child and wanted that child to live in a certain way and when that child goes an opposite way that parent looks down and says no no i want you to go this way this is the right way our father and our creator our judge our god has made us designed us to live a certain way but we have gone our own and the bible calls that transgression to go too far iniquity to fall short sin to miss the mark that's all those words mean is to miss what god designed for your life and when you don't live up to the way you were designed to live that brings about guilt before god we have done wrong things there is no one that stands before the presence of god and says i have yet to sin i'm innocent i've done nothing wrong like the psalmist would cry out who can stand before the hill of god and in his presence it takes righteousness perfection innocence to stand in front of a holy god and we have not been able to do that and rightly so when wrongs happen punishment is deserved justice is deserved that's exactly the way that we are operating our life when things go wrong we expect justice we just don't like justice when it has to do with us but when justice comes to our sin here's the center of christianity jesus says i'll step in and take that which you deserve as a perfect and sinless sacrifice
I'll take what comes for their guilt so that they don't have to take it. I will bear their griefs and carry their sorrows. I will be pierced for their transgressions. I will be crushed for their iniquities. I will take that which they deserve. He takes away your guilt. And inside of Jesus Christ, any person who comes to him can be guilt-free of sin. But the second thing he does is this. He takes away your guilt, but he also takes away your shame now here's the deal there are two experiences with sin the first one is the external experience me before God I'm guilty before the judge he's perfect I'm not perfect I'm wrong before him and I'm guilty but the other experience is this the experience of shame guilt is I did something wrong shame is I am wrong guilt is I did something bad shame is I am bad And you notice he says in verse 4 that Jesus bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. The result of all sin is eventually isolation. And either we experience isolation from God, being separated from him in sin, isolation from each other because we've hurt each other, or even isolation from ourselves by not being able to handle what we've done or what's been done to us. Either shame, we experience shame for what we've done or what's been done to us. That's what sin does to us. Sin, both in what we do and what's been done to us, has a way of defining us. You ever notice sometimes we can't shake that definition about us when we've done something wrong or maybe you've done something big that's wrong or maybe something's been done to you. Those negative offense, those negative things that we've done or had done to us begin to define us and shape us. That's the negative effect of sin, that it just seeps into our identity. And Jesus also steps in and says, I'll take away from you the burden of this negative event. And so when you think about Jesus and you think about Christianity, you have to ask how many people in here, whether Christian or not, are still carrying guilt for their sin, still carrying shame because of sin. Maybe you can't let go of past mistakes Maybe you can't see yourself in any other light than just the light of your error. Jesus bore the burden of all of that in his life and in his death, and he invites you to come to him and let him take that burden off of you. Well, how does he do that? The servant takes, but the servant also gives. You notice in verse 5, as he takes away our guilt and our shame, he brings back to us the very things we need. He starts with this in verse 5 pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Jesus Christ was the chastisement, literally the whippings, the beatings, that gives you peace. So if you're not familiar with the story of Calvary, Jesus Christ lives about 33 years of his life, sinless, error-free, no one can hold him accountable because he has done nothing wrong. He stands before Pontus Pilate and he's silent and he's condemned to death because of jealousy and rage and he's condemned to be able to be to be beaten 39 times and then crucified on a cross and he's standing there on the whipping pole with a scourge being braided together and at the end of that scourge there's pieces of bone and metal and rock that are tied into that and he's whipped 39 times in each moment as he is losing his peace you're gaining yours In the moment that he's losing his health, you're gaining all the healing you've ever needed. He says the chastisement for for our peace was upon him. 
You see, here's what happens. When Jesus was going through that suffering, when he was being tortured and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and then hung on a cross and died, the just God of the universe was punishing sin and forgiving sinners. When your guilt is taken away because of sin, when you realize in Jesus Christ he offers you ultimate forgiveness, what returns, what floods back into your life is peace. And peace is not just the absence of war or the absence of problems. Peace is literally taking the peace of your life and making you whole again, making things right. You have peace with God. We're okay now. You're no longer, I'm no longer at enmity with you. We have peace with others. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. And we have peace ultimately with ourselves. When you trust what Jesus Christ has done for you, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I know I've done wrong, more than I can ever imagine probably. But because of Jesus, I can be forgiven. You have peace with yourself. You're made whole. You see, the servant gives you peace, but he also gives you healing. Now, I want to clarify what he means by this. He says down there in verse 5, that with his wounds, we become healed. Now, the prophet Isaiah, the gospel writers, the whole narrative of the Bible is zeroed in is intent on making sure that your soul, which is the real you, this body you're wearing right now might not be the real you, but your soul is the real you. That's who you are. And he wants that to be healed. And sin has so much damaging effect upon our lives, who we are, our minds, the way we think. The sin that we commit defines us. The sin that's done to us hurts us. And you and I end up being wounded people. And Jesus Christ, through his wounds, heals us. You see, the more you understand and the more that you trust the gospel message that Jesus Christ would die for you in your place, the freer the person you become, the more liberated you become. When you really buy into the truth that Jesus Christ stepped in legally and died for your sins, God is a just God, and this is where it works in our benefit. Because God said, I'm a just God, and if he has punished Jesus Christ for your sins, he will not then punish you for those sins. He punishes once. You've heard of double jeopardy? God does not work double jeopardy. He's punished Jesus. Now here's why this works. Here's why this frees you. Because when you believe this, that your sin has already been punished, it liberates you. You walk out of the courtroom and you go, but no chains, I'm free. And you become free, first of all, to confess your sin now. You see, the reason we don't confess sin, the, we, the reason we don't pray and tell God, the reason we don't open up to each other and say sin is because we're afraid of being judged and condemned. And when you know in Jesus Christ that you're not condemned, that you're not judged anymore, you're free to confess. Sin that is pent up in your heart is, is really eroding your soul. And in Jesus Christ, you know that it's been paid for. You can confess it, own it and move on from it you're not just free to confess but you're also free to change you see the story of the gospel of jesus christ is the greatest message of love that you've ever heard you walk away from that story saying you mean that i am me anthony loved that much that means that i am not defined by my sin anymore i am not defined by my mistakes i'm not defined by my limitations i am not defined by all of the mistakes that have given me an identity up to this point in my life, I am defined by the extent to which Christ loves me. And regardless of what you think about me, 
regardless of all the times that I fail you and you have opinions and judgments about me in your mind, I am defined today by the fact that Jesus Christ said, I would leave heaven, come to earth, and I'll die for you. That's the only thing that defines me. And when you have that kind of love, you're free to go after changing your life. Sin, listen to me, sin is what makes you in your life both defensive and defeated. Sin is what makes you on edge. You're trying to defend yourself, to prove that you're not as wrong as you think you are, to try to outrun your mistakes, to try to prove that you're better than what your sin says you are. And when you run out of gas, you become defeated in your sin and you turn back to sin to escape the effect of being so borne down by sin. And when you and I realize the greatest gift of Jesus Christ that he has given to us, his love, his forgiveness, his grace, verse 11 says it this way. Look down at verse 11 of Isaiah 53. He says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see what he's done and be satisfied. Jesus by his knowledge shall the righteous one, Jesus, make my servant, make many people to be accounted righteous. Do you see, here's the greatest thing Jesus gives you. Righteousness. Now righteousness, if you're not too familiar with church, is another Bible word that means the ability to stand in front of somebody and be fully accepted for what you've done. Righteousness in the workplace is your resume. You hand your resume to a hiring person and you say, look, here's what I've done. You should accept me. Righteousness in an academic setting is your transcript. You hand that to grad school or whatever and you say, here's my record of performance. You should accept me. But righteousness before God, moral righteousness, none of us have it good enough to stand before God. Because when I stand before God and say, God, I didn't steal, he'll say, did you lie? God, I'm not an idolater. He said, you love money more than you love me. You see, I can't stand before God and be righteous. And when it, because I can't be righteous, then I run and I hide and I turn to sin to escape from the lack of righteousness. And Jesus says, in my suffering, in my anguish, in my perfect righteousness at the cross, I'll take your sin, but I'll give to you my record of perfection. So now, if you're in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he says, my perfect son, my perfect daughter, let me bless you. Don't hide anymore. Don't be afraid. No more guilt. No more shame. You see, the story of Jesus is the story that tells you the two greatest truths you'll ever learn. The first one is this. You're not going to like it. That you are more sinful than you ever know. You're worse than you think you are even the intent of your heart is probably worse than what you imagine. And you realize, that, you realize this by realizing the Son of God, a, a sinless, perfect Son of God, had to die for me. I'm worse than I can imagine. But the second truth is this. You are more loved than you could ever, ever hope for. You see, all of us are desperate and begging and searching for acceptance and love in every outlet of our life. We want our bosses to approve of us. We want to find a spouse that approves of us. We want to have children that make us look good. We, we do all these things so that we feel loved and approved. And we're missing the one approval that we desperately need. That's God's when he looks at us in Jesus Christ and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, at the end of our sermons here, typically we offer an invitation and what we're trying to do is invite people to change, to grow, to take steps. It's designed for everyone. 
An invitation is not just for people who are not Christians like um, they used to have tent meetings and people would come forward and they become... An invitation is not just for non-Christians. It's for all Christians. The most mature of us in this building, this invitation for you to take a next step in your faith. Some of you Christians may need to dig deeper into the gospel and start confessing sin that you're holding on to. Maybe you're a Christian already and you're holding on to shame, being defined by your sin and not Jesus' love. You need to let go of that and move forward. Maybe you're not a Christian and the message of Jesus is the very story you've been looking forward to, the one that you need, the one that you have been searching for all your life. I promise you won't find this love story in Titanic or Frozen. You find it in Scripture, a kind of love that will die for you but not stay dead. You see, Jesus died for you, went into the tomb, but then he raised back to life by the power of God to march forward into eternity. He said, come, follow me. I'll take you there. If you need to take a public step in your faith, you can do that. We're gonna stand and sing in just a second. But if you need to take a step in your faith, today's the day to take a step, either publicly or privately. Let's stand and sing. If we can help you, you can come.